Hello and welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. This is Steve Bruce Benson, the host of the podcast. It is great to have you with you with us today. Hey, this is a first time for the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. We're doing this thing via Zoom. I'm here in the church's basement, but my guest today is in Lexington, Kentucky. Is that right, Steve? Lexington, Kentucky. Yes, it is. So the first time we've done this for, via Zoom, so everybody's crossing their fingers that it works. I've done all the tutorials and everything, so I hope, hopefully I know what I'm doing. But I have a special guest with me today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. The author and novelist, Steve Hester. Steve, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you for joining me. First, let's begin by telling everybody a little bit about yourself. Like, who are you? What do you do? That kind of stuff. Where do you live? Et cetera. So my name is Steve Hester. I live in Lexington, Kentucky. I am a deacon in the Roman Catholic Church. Which at, means, uh, St. Paul. Which, what's a deacon in the Roman Catholic Church? What's a deacon? Well, a deacon is uh, one of the orders, an ordained position. Um, it's on the way to becoming a priest. Those are called transitional deacons, and uh, guys in seminary will be ordained as a transitional deacon and then move on and become a priest. I am married, so I am what's called a permanent deacon because I cannot transition on to becoming a priest. So I'm sort of uh, hit the glass ceiling, I guess, as far as that goes in the Catholic Church. <laughs> So what does a deacon do? Well, we can uh, do some of the sacraments, baptisms, weddings, funerals. And I'm also a pastoral associate at my parish. So I'm a, an employee there and work in the office with uh, keeping up with paperwork and whatever else they tell me to do. A little bit of everything. So, okay, so you, you, you can do the sacraments? Yes, some of the sacraments, baptisms, weddings, and funerals. We cannot hear confessions, and we cannot say Mass um, on our own. We can assist at Mass. We can preach uh, homilies during the service. Um, we read some of the prayers and uh, stuff like that. Well, uh, yeah, cool. Sort of like the, the assistant to the priest, I guess. So this is, I mean, this has nothing to do with your book, but I'm just kind of fascinated do you think that this is something that the Catholic Church should uh, aspire to, that for all their priests to be able to have married and families and to be able to do all this and to what you're doing and, and then also to allow you to do the uh, the full duties of a priest? Well, it is something that they have uh, talked about. I think they're talking about it now in Rome at the synod that Pope Francis has called. And it is something that used to be uh, years and years ago in the Catholic Church, priests were married. And I do not remember when they stopped. Um, I used to know the year. I'm supposed to be better about this <laughs> church history stuff. But I know at one point they uh, decided to not allow priests to marry anymore. And it has been that way for several centuries now. But, yeah, cool. um, they, were, they are revisiting it. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> what What is your parish that you work in? St. Paul's. In downtown Lexington, so, or yes, we are right downtown, uh, right near Rupp Arena. So we've got prime parking for all of the UK basketball uh, Wildcat games. <laughs> it also means we have a great deal of traffic down there, <laughs> unaffiliated with what we're trying to do at church. That's just one of our crosses to bear, I guess, uh, is fighting through traffic to get to mass. <laughs> oh, that's cool. 
All right. Well, let's dive in. You are an author of a wonderful book I read uh, during my sabbatical this past summer, and I laughed my way through the book. I was moved in the book. At times, the book made me set down the book, and I wanted to pray during the book. It caused me to be reflective. I mean, it really was a great book, Malchus and Me. And I want you to tell us a little bit about, before we dive into the actual book, tell us about why you wanted to write this book. What kind of compelled you to write the book? Well, a lot of uh, the stories that went into Malchus and Me. I grew up uh, as a Southern Baptist. My dad was a Southern Baptist missionary and minister. So I spent a lot of time in church listening to the Bible and reading the Bible and hearing these Bible stories. And my mind would always wander a little bit. And I would, I would, you know, sort of make up little stories to go along with the gospel reading. You know, well, how did these characters get there? And what were they thinking about while Jesus was doing this or that miracle or his apostles are saying this or that thing? And um, and so I kind of always just had in the back of my mind all these little anecdotes and stories. And so this was a way for me to to put them all together and try to make a a narrative out of it, you know, to try to try to get that out of my system, I guess, before, you know, because when I'm saying homilies, doing the sermons at church, I have to be careful. I can't just start making up stories while I'm up there, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so this was sort of a, a way to, to uh, give me a creative outlet for all of that. Awesome. So, okay, Malcolm and me, talk a little bit about the title. And let's kind of go over the characters and what 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 is the book about? Tell us first the title, what the book is about. Sure. So the book is Malchus and Me, and it tells a story that is very familiar to many people in the West. Um, it is the story of Jesus of Nazareth coming to Jerusalem and getting crucified. And it is told by Tiberius, who is a Roman soldier. Um, he's not very much of a soldier. He's not very good at it. He's sort of in the army because his dad was in the army and his uncles are in the army. And that's just what his family does. Um, he's joined by his best friend, Malchus, who is an employee down at the temple. And you may remember Malchus. He shows up in the gospel narratives uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter cuts his ear off. And he was the, sort of the inspiration, one of the main uh, characters that I thought about a lot, you know, when I would read that story in church and think, you know, why is this guy even here? And then what happens to him after he gets his ear cut off, you know, and what does his family think about it? And what do his friends think about it? How does that change his life? And so that was sort of what led me to, to want to bring Malchus in as a main character. But um, in the book, he is a uh, an employee over at the temple, and he's a little bit disillusioned with institutional religion uh, because of all the hypocrisy and the corruption and uh, the politics that he sees down there. Um, and so the two of them are accompanied in their journey uh, by their friend and confidant, Bell, who runs the brothel in town. So and, uh, okay. Bell... <laughs> Bell is just this hoot of a character. I mean, how do you... So... I interrupted. Tell us about Belle. No, no. Well, she just, um, you know, doesn't have much use for organized religion. You know, she she exists outside of their purview, and that's just fine with her. That's the way she likes it. Um, and so the three of them encounter Jesus and his entourage during his ministry on earth. And uh, 
tell us what they think about, you know, the miracles they see and the sermons they hear and the people they meet and um, carries through the story. They uh, hit a lot of the high points of Jesus's ministry. So a lot of the parts of the book will be familiar, you know, to someone who's been to church a lot. And even people that haven't been to church a lot have, you know, heard of a lot of these, a lot of these stories um, that, that I bring in that the characters witness. Um, and so Belle, it's interesting. Belle started out as a side character, sort of like a comic relief. You know, she she was just going to be the bartender when I started out writing, you know. All staff character. Yeah. And um, the more I wrote about it and started thinking of a backstory for her, she sort of transitioned into um, one of the main lead characters. You know, she, she started off as a woman and then I realized, well, well, she's a woman of color. And then, you know, as I was writing, I realized, you know, it would really be interesting if she was a trans woman of color. And then that got me thinking, you know, a, a trans woman of color is often demonized and perhaps discriminated against more than almost anyone else and yet survives. And um, that seems sort of heroic to me. And, and uh, so Bill ended up sort of as the heroine of the of the whole story in a way. Yeah. Um, so it, it was fun to fun to write about. <laughs> you know what? Uh, what so it, <clears throat> at first I had to kind of warm up the bell, try to get my mind around the character. But it got me thinking of course, there were trans people of color back in the New Testament day. There have always been trans people as long as there are the history of human, human beings on the globe. There have been trans people. So, of course, they were there in the time of Jesus. And, of course, they would have been part of the social fabric of, um, of, a, of a Hebrew town I just, it's so amazing how she becomes this central heroine of the entire book. What do you love the, the most about her? I, I really liked her sense of humor. Uh, she reminds me a lot of a couple of friends I have. You know, some of the stuff she says is, man, that's stuff I've heard them say. So, <laughs> um, uh, so that was the the most fun part, I think, was, was writing about her, you know, her... Uh, <laughs> colloquialisms and, and humorous anecdotes that she shares with the guys. So, um, and, yeah. and it was fun to, to give them someone to sort of lead them through. You know, I felt like Malchus and Tiberius, to a certain extent, sort of bumble along. You know, they're not they're not the best. You know, Malchus is not the best temple guard and, and Tiberius is not the best Roman soldier. But, you know, they always just follow Bell and she, she'll lead them where they need to be, you know. Um, he uh, seems to be the one that gets Jesus the most and understands what he's teaching and explains it to them and helps them understand it. Um, so, yeah, she was, she was a fun character. <laughs> what do you think uh, was the um, the curiosity? What is the right word I'm looking for? What was it that, that grabbed the attention of Malchus and Tiberius about Jesus? Why did... Why was Malchus so, he was kind of leading the way towards his curiosity towards Jesus. What do you think it was that compelled them to come to come to Jesus and be part of the crowds that gathered that listened to him? I think for Malchus, it would have been the uh, juxtaposition of the things Jesus was teaching compared with what he was hearing down at the temple every day at work, you know, and seeing the way that Jesus talked to the scribes and Pharisees and 
um, you know, always would bring things back to love and mercy um, and, uh, you know, just the way that uh, it was such a difference. You know, one of the first times Malchus sees Jesus is when he comes into the temple and, you know, kicks over the money tables and chases out the uh, the money changers. And, um, you know, that made an, an impression on Malchus, you know, because that was just it was so normal the way that the temple was operating. And then here comes this guy who's saying, hey, this is not how it's supposed to be. You're turning my father's house into a marketplace and that's not what it's supposed to be. And it really made an impression on him, I think. Because um, the interesting yeah. thing is that Malchus has to go against his um, his profession and training as a soldier of the Roman court. Talk about how he wrestles with that decision to follow Jesus vis-a-vis -vis his role as a temple guard? Well, I think that, you know, as he witnesses Jesus teaching and seeing how people react to Jesus, seeing the difference that Jesus is making um, in the lives of the people around him, you know, he's healing the sick and he's uh, bringing people together rather than pushing them apart and, um, you know, everything is not about having the right clothes and the right job and the right, you know, living in the right neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think that that really drew him to Jesus and, um, you know, helped him see that Jesus was teaching a different way to follow God, different than what he had been taught and different than what, what he had been working toward, you know, as a temple employee. Um, and so, you know, I think he does struggle with it. At times in the book, he, you know, he's trying to figure out, is this real? Is this guy really, you know, does he mean all this stuff? And is this stuff actually true? And, you know, they have conversations about, you know, how naive is this Jesus thinking that, you know, we're all just going to love each other and everything's going to be kumbaya and, you know, hunky dory. <laughs> so, you know, they, I think it's through his conversations and experiences with Tiberius and Bell that helped Malchus sort of uh, see that Jesus is forming a new way. You know, uh, the disciples called it the way following Jesus. And I think that it really appealed to him, you know, seeing the, the difference it made in people's lives. You know, one of the things I loved about the book is the humor. I mean, it is a funny, funny book. I mean, there are some places that I, I just put the book down. I just started laughing. I thought to myself, this is great. But the, because, you know, when I, uh, so I've read and taught the Gospels for the past 40 years, right? I'm a minister. And I always want to say, Jesus surely had a sense of humor. I mean, he had to laugh at these bubbling guys that followed him who just didn't get it. I mean, one of my favorite things, lines from every which gospel, I think it's John, where Jesus says, are you being willfully stupid? Are you being willfully <laughs> stupid that you're not getting this? And so I often think that the gospel writers toned down Jesus' humor, if not added to that. What do you think about Jesus, his humor, and humor as it relates to the book Malchus and Me? Well, I think, of course, Jesus had to have a sense of humor, you know. Um, if he's fully human, then he's going to have a sense of humor like all of us do. And in the difficult life that Jesus leads with his apostles, you know, traveling around, not always being welcomed, chased out of towns and, um, you know, never having anything, don't bring a money sack with you and 
um, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes when you're when you're in a difficult situation, the only thing you can do is laugh. And so I, I've always imagined that when Jesus and his disciples are sitting around the campfire, you know, uh, relaxing after a day of preaching and, and healing the sick, um, that there would be some lighthearted banter and humor. And, you know, Jesus, for all we know, was the ringleader of, you know, uh, cracking everybody up and, and making jokes probably at the expense of some of his more bumbling apostles, you know, there were definitely some of them that just didn't get it and you know, constantly stuck their foot in their mouth. I mean, that was Peter's specialty, I think. So I, I imagine Jesus poking fun at them quite a bit. Um, and so I tried to bring that into the book, you know, to try to keep it lighthearted. I feel like so often in church, especially we, we read the gospel and then, you know, the preacher gets up there and talks about it and there's, you know, there's no laughter at all. And if there is a joke that is put into a sermon, it's very deliberately put in and it has nothing to do really with what is going on in the Bible. It's just, a, you know, a joke about a current affairs or something that happened in the parking lot or, or whatever, some kind of joke just to lighten the mood. There's never a joke about what's happening in the Bible. And I guess some people might think that's irreverent to joke about the Bible, but I feel like if Jesus was joking about it, how can it be irreverent, right? And maybe we need to give ourselves all of us permission to joke a little bit more. I mean, when when I preach, I love to make people laugh. I just maybe it's just the ham and me, but I always say if they're laughing, they're listening. And uh, I, try, I try to I try to get people laughing. You know, one of the, excuse me, one of the things I love about the book is that it brought different characters to life. That you know, you kind of read about different characters, but the book kind of like brings them to life talk, talk to me about about um uh herod yeah so herod you know he's mentioned in the bible a little bit he doesn't seem that he is all there i've always pictured him as like sort of an unhinged tyrant that has more power than he knows what to do with but not enough sense to do anything too detrimental you know to the kingdom but also he's not going to do anything good for the kingdom either um and you know so when i was writing about herod i thought well, well what's the most ridiculous kind of entrance procession this person could have and so that was you know one of the things i had a good time with was talking about herod and and his entrance procession that you know he wants to be grand and wonderful but He's, you know, too dense to really be able to pull it off or to surround himself with people that can help him pull it off. Um, you know, and then I figured he probably partied too much because he had well, too you, much time and money on his hands. So there's some great party scenes, the the parade <laughs> and everything. I mean, Herod, there's some laugh out loud scenes with Herod and what's going on with them. Uh, and it just, as I said, it brought Herod to life in ways that I'd, I mean, it reminded me of Godspell a little bit. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, musical Godspell. That's kind no. of that predates you. I'm just aging myself, you know, because <laughs> it was it was big back in the 70s when I was a kid, 70s and 80s. Reminds me a little bit about Jesus Christ Superstar. Surely you've heard of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. You're not that young that you don't know Jesus <laughs> Christ Superstar, but it how these musicals brought the the story of Jesus alive it brought Herod alive i th that's one of the things i loved about about the book another thing that i thought the book did a really good job with and it's kind of a side part of the book 
side part of the narrative, but it's definitely part of the narrative. And that's the persecution that was going on in the communities that Jesus was part of. There's a couple of scenes that are really pretty heavy about the persecution of the average person in a Hebrew town. Why don't you talk a little bit about the persecution? Well, you know, I think that for one thing, that during that time, they're living under the heel of the Romans. Um, and so they've always got sort of this uh, foreign overlord, you know, um, in their town that's running things. But also the way that the temple operated, um, basically being the law of the land for, for everyday, uh, everyday business and stuff. And so... You know, one of the scenes uh, that I had was for the woman caught in adultery, you know, and what that was going to be like for her to be stoned by, uh, you know, by the crowd and everybody joining in together and and being very bloodthirsty about it and very excited about it. You know, that they, they want to go out and see a see a stoning, you know, it's like breaking up the monotony of, of their daily life in a way. Um, and so I just felt like it was important to share those types of stories too because we sort of just glance over that kind of thing you know about how uh bloodthirsty it all seems you know by by today's standards i guess um and so yeah that was just one of the things i wanted to to have in there um you know was was what's it like for the regular person who's just trying to enjoy a beer after work and then all of a sudden no oh, we got to go out here and stone this lady you know and um, got to be part of it because if you're not part of it, then you're, you know, maybe you're for her, maybe you're on her side, you know. Right. Because I found that I found that scene very moving. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, so there's some definite, profound sections of the story, whether it's, it's the, Jesus of teaching, uh, the stoning of the woman uh, caught in adultery. Some of the conversations between Malchus and Tiberius and Bell. How did how did you work in these serious aspects of the life of Jesus, where you go from laughter, 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 and then wow, some pretty heavy duty passages where, as the reader, it gets you thinking about it. How did you work those serious aspects of the life of Jesus into the story? Well, one of the things I wanted to do. Um, with Jesus is present a lot, you know, his teachings and, um, you know, the things that he was doing. Um, and so I would, you know, read a section of, of something, you know, the Sermon on the Mount or something and um, really think about it, you know, and, and what, what is it, what did he really mean? What would people have thought that he meant? What, how would they explain it to one another? Um, and so a lot of it is, you know, my own uh, personal interpretation and understanding of it, of course. But, um, you know, I also wanted to try to, to really have something in the book for people that maybe if they've not read those words of Jesus before to um, help explain it in a way that maybe they can understand what what Jesus meant. So that, you know, um, I mean, this is not obviously it's not a evangelization tool, I guess, first and foremost, but I thought that there could be room for for there to to be some stuff for for people to learn about Jesus if they hadn't thought about these things that way you know it's one of the things I was hoping people would get out of it would, would be to um 
you know, change the way that maybe they thought about Jesus or maybe they thought about the Bible story in general, you know, um, to, to maybe change their life a little bit and help them see what Jesus's message really was all about. Because so often it gets lost in so much of what we do in church and detract from what Jesus was teaching at the time. Do you think you need to be a Christian to get anything out of this book? No, I I, I think that a non-Christian could um, learn a few things. Uh, you know, I, I tried to keep that in mind. You know, what does a non-Christian think about this? And I have a lot of non-Christian friends, you know. I Even though I was a preacher's kid, as you know, probably the preacher's kids are the worst kids. And so I ran around <laughs> with all sorts of the bad crowd. So a lot of this book, you know, is thinking about, well, how to make it interesting for someone who doesn't who's not already invested in the Jesus story. And so I think that a non-Christian could learn a lot about, you know, stuff they didn't know about Jesus's story, because while it is a fiction novel, all the main points of the book are things that are in the Bible, you know, so a non-Christian may be unfamiliar with some of the parts of the story, but they may find it interesting and hopefully laugh a little bit with it, you know, and maybe, um, challenge them a little bit about the way that they think of Jesus or the way they think of religion. You know, I wanted there to sort of be a delineation between what religion is and what Jesus is all about, um, because I think sometimes it, it's not always the same thing. So talk about that. Talk about the delineation just in our your work, my work. What is the difference between religion and the teachings of Jesus? That's a great insight. Well, um, Speaking from the Catholic side of things, you know, we've Jesus boiled it down for us to two rules, love God and love your neighbor. Um, and in Catholicism, I think we're up to something like 2000 or 3000 rules at this point in our catechism. Um, and we we worry in the church from the church's side. We worry a lot about a lot of stuff that Jesus never talked about or mentioned or brought up. And it's not stuff that Jesus was unaware of. Jesus, you know, was aware that there are LGBTQ people. He was aware that there were, you know, uh, all sorts of things in the world and what we consider sins, but, you know, he never talked about them. You know, he taught us that if we're loving God and we're loving our neighbor, in a way, the rest of it will take care of itself. You know, we don't need 3,000 rules necessarily, but within organized religion, we tend to want there to be a, a structure we can follow and hierarchy. You know, I laugh all the time when my um, colleagues and I catch ourselves uh, feeling a lot like scribes and Pharisees, you know, when we're hammering on, well, this is what it says in this, and this is the rule for that, and this other thing. And, you know, and I think, well, what, if, what would Jesus say to us if he was here with us right now? He'd probably talk to us the same way that he talked to the scribes and Pharisees. In the Bible. So, um, you know, and I think that that turns a lot of people off and they and they can walk away from religion, which causes them to walk away from God. And I don't think that it is necessary to leave God just because you're exasperated with your particular branch of religion. Um, you know, I, so, think that's what, I think that's what comes out of the book is that you don't need to be. Like I'm a Presbyterian. You don't need to be a Presbyterian to follow Jesus. You don't need to be a Catholic to follow Jesus. I mean, Malcolm, Malchus was a a guard. Uh, Tiberius was a Roman soldier. 
guys. They're just a couple guys who need to go to AA. They both have serious drinking problems. You right. know, they they hang out with a with a trans prostitute running a brothel. I mean, these two guys have got some issues <laughs> that they right. need to work out right. in their life. But yet they're the ones that are caught up in the whole movement of Jesus. I mean, that's why, as you said, they call themselves people of the way, not Presbyterians or Catholics or Baptists, but they were part of the way that followed Jesus. I think that's why I don't think you need to be a Christian to read this book. In fact, sometimes I think if you're a Christian reading the book, that can almost become an impediment. Because you could say, now, wait a minute. That's not the way the gospel went. What is this guy doing? The story goes this way. And I think, you know, that if you're too familiar with the Bible story, that you're going to start arguing instead of capturing the true essence of the story of Malchus and Tiberius, Bell and Jesus. So that's I I also agree that you don't need to be a Christian. In fact, I often think when I was reading, I was thinking it's almost better if you don't be a Christian because then you're not arguing with with uh, right. you know one of the things i want to talk about is that um so i've always believed and i've taught people that everybody needs to be in the business of writing a gospel because each of us approach the story of jesus differently based upon who you are your context your community your family your education blah 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 that We each have unique perspective on the life of Jesus. And so therefore, we all need to, quote unquote, write a gospel, whether that's through dance or painting or poetry or art of some kind that we all need to be expressing our our faith, I believe, in some type of artistic way. Is this the gospel, according to Steve Hester? (laughs) Yeah, I think that um, it does capture a lot of my understanding of Jesus, the way that I feel Jesus uh, in my life, the things that he's taught me and showed me um, through my own study and my own experiences. Um, And so, you know, I guess if I was going to write a gospel, it would be an awful lot like Malchus and me, you know, Um, I would, I would want it to be funny and I would want it to also try to show, you know, the, the real humans involved in the gospel story, you know, it's not just a bunch of apostles and saints that followed him. There were real actual people that, you know, or a couple of drunks that needed to be in AA, you know, and, <laughs> and people living in all sorts of circumstances that are not um, the ideal Christian family, nuclear household, you know, I mean, I think that we, we forget that sometimes and it can lead us to uh, feeling inadequate a lot of times you know we feel like uh you know what's jesus got to say to me i'm just this or i'm just that or i'm you know not important enough that jesus would take the time to stop and talk to me and i think that jesus would stop and talk to us you know i think that he did that throughout his ministry and i and i hope that it came through in the book you know um examples of him talking to real people and and being with with us in our humanity, you know, not that he's up here above us and not one of us and doesn't understand what we're going through, but that, you know, he came and was fully human. And so he did understand and he did spend time 
with us, with everybody, not just with the the ones who would go on to be great apostles and leaders in the church. You know, he he stopped and talked to everybody. So, so if this is the gospel according to Steve Hester, which I believe it is, I believe it is. Let's talk about inspiration. Do you think that you were inspired? What inspired you to write this book? Do you think the Holy Spirit inspired you to write this book? I think that there were definitely points when I was writing um, that felt inspired um, in the same way as when I'm I'm writing a sermon. You know, sometimes you can feel it in your heart and it brings tears to your eyes and you you know, feel and know that that's what you're supposed to say and that that is the message you're supposed to get out of this particular passage that, you know, the Lord is is leading you to read and study on. Um, you know, when I write homilies, I only preach about once a month. I used to preach every other week when we lived in Rhode Island, but um, here in Kentucky, I'm on about once a month. And I don't worry a lot about writing my sermons. You know, I just sort of always know get a feeling that, oh, I need to sit down and work on it right now. So then I sit down and work on it, and it just sort of comes. You know, I read the passages that the sermon's supposed to be about, and, um, you know, it just all sort of comes out. And there were definitely points in Malchus and me where there was that same type of feeling. You know, I would be talking about, you know, a passage of, of one of Jesus's teachings and it would just sort of all come flowing out. And it was like you get done typing the page and you just think, wow, that was that was really something. Now, there's other parts in Malchus and me that I know I made up, you know, and I like to think a lot of the funnier parts are the ones I made up and probably the inspirational parts are the ones the Holy Spirit inspired. But that <laughs> probably Spirit's detracts from the Holy Spirit. That's right. See, he has a sense of humor, too. So I don't want to take away from his humor. Because, <laughs> you know, there were pa definitely passages where I thought this was the Holy Spirit inspired. That's why there were portions, times in the book that I was really moved. I had to set the I wanted to set the book down and go to the Bible and read. I wanted to put the book down and meditate. And there was uh, some definite uh, profound moments in the book that I really felt were Holy Spirit driven. Like that's why, you know, we kind of chatted a little bit before the interview. Like I believe that inspiration is inspiration and the same spirit that inspired Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Thomas and Sophia, all the other gospel writers that that same spirit uh, inspired you to write or inspired me to write or inspires a podcast. What do you, what do you think about that? Is right. it, is does the Holy Spirit inspire where for the gospel writers unique, or does the Holy Spirit inspire all of us? I think the Holy Spirit inspires all of us. Um, you know, when Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit will come and be with us always and the advocate will be with us, I don't think he was only talking to the apostles. You know, I think that he is here with all of us. And I think the difference, if it's even a difference, um, is that sometimes we don't recognize it as much. You know, I feel like back in those times when they were used to having prophets around and God speaking to his people and that kind of thing, maybe it was easier for them to recognize the inspiration as coming from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, these days we we may not um, use that same type of language to describe it, but I think that the Holy Spirit is inspiring all sorts of people all the time to create um art and to create their gospels as you said through whatever medium that they use um and 
so yeah, I think that the Holy Spirit is definitely here with us and, and inspires all of us in different ways. Uh, it's just a matter of if we listen to it or not. Don't yeah. take advantage of it, you know? So, you know, one of the things that uh, I want you to answer is what do you hope people will take away by reading this book? What's the takeaway? I hope that people that read the book will be inspired in some way to um, think about, you know, how how Jesus and the Holy Spirit interact with them in their life. Maybe inspire them to think about how they treat people that they might view as outside of the norm. Uh, people that, you know, maybe they wouldn't normally give a second glance to that would, you know, think they're beneath, you know, polite society. Um, and I'd also like to like it to challenge them to, um, you know, reevaluate their own faith and, you know, how real is Jesus in your own life? Um, because, you know, for the characters in the story, this is all it's all very real. They're watching it happen. And I think w as we get distance from that time until now, it can feel like it's just a story and it's not really something that, you know, has an impact on me now. That was something that happened then. And so, you know, I think the challenge for all of us um, would be to to let the Holy Spirit in and to give us a little uh, inspiration to to try to live and love a little bit like Jesus did. Um, and also not to forget the humor in life and to appreciate Jesus's humor with all of us, you know. Good. See, this has been great. I want people to read this book. How do they get the book? It is available at malcusandme.square.site, but it is also available at barnesandnoble.com and Amazon. Yeah, and it's available on a, a Kindle format. I got mine on Kindle. Yes. So is it, so is it available on a Barnes and Noble reader, whatever they call their? Yeah, uh, theirs is called Nook, I believe. Yeah, Nook. Is it available, it's available on, on that as well? Okay, cool. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad we connected with one another. I'm so glad the book got into my hands because um, it it's a really enjoyable read. And if you're looking for a fresh approach to the life of Jesus, and we didn't get in, I intentionally stayed away from the crucifixion and the Easter scenes because that's the beauty of beautiful sections of the book that I didn't want to spoil for, for the reader, but those are the real touching parts of the whole story. Thank you, Thank you so much. All right, Stephen, it's great to have you with me today. Thank you so much for joining me on the Cowboy Jesus podcast. Friends, you can listen to, or you can read my blog, cowboyjesus.blogspot.com. Actually, it's Steve's cowboyjesus at .blogspot.com. You'll also find the podcast and the Facebook page, I mean, and the blog on Facebook. It's also on LinkedIn, and I work on X, formerly Twitter, and other platforms, Instagram as well. So a lot of different ways to connect. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us, and here's to the next episode. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me.